I'm excited to be back with you all this morning. Um, I missed you. I missed you. I know uh, a couple weeks ago uh, we had Bob Russell in to preach, which was amazing. He did an awesome job. Last week, Matt was phenomenal. Can we give it up for Matt? Like, find yourself a worship pastor that can do both, right? Like, who can lead worship and then also hop down here and unpack truth for us. I thought Matt was fantastic. Uh, last week, but I am, uh, I was away on uh, staff in a men's weekend, uh, and I'm so excited to be here this morning. I-, I was telling some folks earlier today, like when we mapped out this series a long time ago, right after the first of the year, I was looking forward to this specific Sunday like three months ago. Uh, so I'm super, super excited. Now, before we get into this, just a couple housekeeping things to, to talk through. Number one, uh, love the fact that we've got a lot of new faces here at Adventure and have had for the last few weeks. Love that people are, are jumping in and, and visiting with us, coming to check things out here. Uh, a couple things. One, you need to know, uh, when you walked in this morning, and you're like, man, what kind of church plays Toby Keith, right? We do. That's how awesome we are. And yes, that's kind of like the normal playlist. Um, the second thing is this. If you've been coming to Adventure for a while... Uh, here's what we need you to kind of start thinking through and thinking about. Uh, think about parking a little bit further away, right? So there are opportunities. There are places to park. There are opportunities. You have an opportunity to park at Watson's. You could park across the street at Watson's uh, on the left side facing their building. You could park over there. We also own uh, a handful of parking spots up there by the uh, the Pepperidge Farm uh, warehouse, which is great. You can park there and smell goldfish the whole way you're walking uh, down to church. So it's fantastic. So if you've been coming to Adventure for a while uh, and you're able to you park a little bit further away, we'd love for you to do that just to open up some spots really close to the building for our visitors uh, to come uh, and so they can park a little bit closer as well. Uh, we just want to make room uh, for more and more folks. It's awesome. So uh, let me pray for us and then we are going to, to dive in. All right, let's pray. Jesus, we love you. And this morning, I love the, the fact that we just got to sing that song. Like we love you, Lord, and we lift our voices. We lift our praise to you. And I love Jesus that, that, you t- that in your word it says that, that when we make sounds, utterances, even sometimes that, that, that are groans, that's all we can do, right? That, that noise, that sweet sound to your ear is whatever comes out of our mouth. That's what we believe here. We believe that come as you are means whatever sound comes out of your mouth, whatever, whatever you're doing, whatever, whatever feeling you're feeling, right? Fear, sadness, hurt, pain, disappointment, joy, anything in between, Lord, that sound is a sweet sound to your ear. When we cry out to you, when we praise you, even in the midst of suffering, that's a sweet sound. Lord, the, the sweet sound is not having it, having to have it all together, but it's where we are as we are, and you meet us in those spaces. So God, today I ask that your spirit would just meet us in this place, that your spirit would meet us and grab a hold of our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears uh, to what you want to teach us this morning out of your word. Jesus, we love you, and we give you all the praise. Jeremy, pray. Everybody said. All right, so before we dive into this kind of last chamber, now again, if you're, if you're new, let me catch up. We've been eight weeks, right? Today is week number eight. We've been talking specifically to men, and we said, like, in, in men, right, there are four chambers in our hearts. Like, that's biology, that's science. I asked Doc Young. He's a doctor. He confirms there are four chambers in the hearts of men, right? And those chambers are king, warrior, wise man, and lover. And you have to have all four functioning properly, right, in order for us to be healthy. If one breaks down, the whole thing starts to break down. And so we've been diving into what it means to to be a man as God intended men to be. Now, if you're new, you may be wondering, like, why are you just talking to dudes in a room where everybody's sitting, like, on a Sunday morning? Here's why. Because men, right, Lots of people are connected to us, right? Ladies in the room, right? Their odds are, if you're, if you're married to a man, obviously you're connected to that man in a, in a marriage relationship, right? Uh, some of us, were dating men, right? Some of us, we go to school with men. We work with men. And so the, the truth is, we, when we talk to men, 
we're really talking to everybody in the room because we're all connected. The same would be true if we did an eight-week series for women, right? If we're talking to women, you're connected to everybody in the room. And so the reason we're having this conversation is we learned this. The way God wired us, the way he put us together means when we speak to one, we speak to all, right? No matter who we speak to, when we speak to one, we speak to all. And so Today, we're going to dive into the last chamber, right, of this heart, right, that exists within men, right, this lover part of who we are. Before I get into that, though, what I want to do, just recap super fast, I want to get us all on the same page, because where we're going today and how we're going to end today is going to be a little bit different, and we all need to be on the same page when we come to the end of today so we can cross the finish line together. And let me just say this. It doesn't matter if today's your first Sunday or today's your 1,000th Sunday. What we're going to do today, you can participate in, right? You're going to get a chance to be a part of something really special, I think. So early on in this series, again, just catching us up, we unpacked something that I feel like struck a chord with a lot of us, and that's this. The opposite of biblical manhood and biblical masculinity is not being a woman. That's not the opposite. The opposite of biblical manhood and biblical masculinity is being a little boy, right? Because, let's be honest, we talked about this at Adventure, right? Women, you are, you are queens. In fact, you're, beyond, you're a warrior queens. And, and, and the women in this room, right, not only the women in this room, but also women across the, in our city, across the country, women are some of the strongest, bravest, most courageous people on the planet, right? So when we think about biblical manhood and biblical masculinity, we don't put women on the under, other end of that spectrum, right? Because, let's be honest, guys, right, some of the women in our lives are way stronger than us. And so the truth is this, biblical, the opposite of that is actually being a little boy. And here's what that means. Being a little boy means that you lack in the strength, you lack in the maturity, you lack in the courage to step into kind of the God-given and God-designed roles, and responsibilities, and expectations of being a man. And here's the thing. When you look at some of the problems that exist currently in our culture, the problems that exist in our culture, most of them you can trace back to the cause being little boys who are stuck and trapped in grown men's bodies, right? It's a 40-year-old that acts like a 14-year-old. It's, it's a 30-year-old, 50-year-old that acts like, they act like a child, right? And that exists in politics, in media, in sports, in church, right? And the list goes on and on. We see these kind of like petty responses. We see, we see people not wanting to take any responsibility, but yet pointing their finger at other people. It's not my fault. It's their fault. It's not my responsibility. It's their responsibility. This is not my problem. It's their problem. We see that all the time. We see grown men throwing temper tantrums. We see them calling people names, right? We see abuse of power. That happens all over the place, yes, including the church. And we see people who are selfish. We see men who are selfish. They are driven by selfish motives. They only want to seek to serve themselves. That's little boy behavior. And I read uh, a really great book by a guy named Brian Loritz, who's a doctor, Dr. Brian Loritz. And, and he talks about, in, in this book, it's the five stages of becoming a man. We're only going to talk about three, right, but there are five. The first one is boyhood, right? Boyhood, it, it starts at birth, and it lasts till like 11 or, or 12 years old. And this is interesting to me, the, the boyhood stage for men, right, this is the only stage that has an age range, that has a concrete age range attached to it. So birth to 11 or 12 or so, that's boyhood. And here's what, here's what Dr. Laureate says kind of marks boyhood. He says it's marked by such things as innocence, imagination, and adventure, but boyhood is also the stage where you're naturally being a consumer more than anything else. Pick up on this, all right? It says, someone is responsible for your care. Others feed you, 
shelter you, clothe you, and the like. Very little, he says, is required of you by the way of responsibility. And just again, so if, if you're new at, at Adventure, one of the ways we take notes is we just grab our phones out of our pockets and use the camera and take pictures of the screen. It's much easier that way. You'll figure out real quick that I talk super fast, right? So, so this really is, is what it kind of marks and defines boyhood. The next stage is adolescence. And Dr. Lauritz says this, he says, this stage of manhood can simply be defined as wanting the privileges of adulthood without the responsibility. He says, adolescence is not so much an age range as it is a mindset. And he says, sociologists have suggested that we're in an age of extended adolescence, which now goes out to our mid-30s. He says, the surefire recipe for extended adolescence is this, coddling mothers and passive fathers. And the clearest example of adolescent behavior are men who choose to cohabitate, meaning you live together with a girl, with a woman, before you're married, right? And he says this, you have all of the privileges of a committed relationship without the responsibilities. You want that friend with benefits kind of thing, right? That's, that marks adolescence. And a lot of guys are thinking back to when they were 15, 16, 17 years old. They're going, uh-huh, right? Yep, that's exactly right. So the next one, though, he talks about is manhood. Now catch this, okay? Manhood, he says, this stage can simply be defined as embracing responsibility. That's the simple definition of manhood, of being a grown-up. It's, it's embracing responsibility, saying, look, there are responsibilities that I have that I have to lean into. Dr. Laureate says, at this point, we can, see, we can call this person not just a male, but a man. He says they don't make excuses. Instead, they take responsibility. He says a man has emerged from adolescence. Here's when. Here's when you move from adolescence into manhood, when you take ownership for your life and the other lives that you've chosen to commit yourself to meaning your spouse, your kids, your coworkers, your family, etc. He says men do hard things. Like get a job and keep a job. They pay bills, right? Catch this too. They're not marked by a consumer mindset, but rather by a contributor mindset, meaning this. They bring life to others. That's their job. And let's be real, when we kind of map it out like this, you put it on the you can kind of see this kind of charted out for us. When we map it out like this, some of us recognize and we realize that, you know what, we are. We're still little boys. We're still little boys or we're adolescents living in grown men's bodies. And can I, if that's you, if this moment is like a light bulb just went on over your head, can I just let you on a secret? You might just now be realizing this, but the people in your life, they've known this for a while. They've realized this. They've known this to be true. And if we're honest with ourselves, here's what happens, guys. Our refusal to become men who lean into and take responsibility, some of us, that's the reason that the same struggles that we've been dealing with for years and years and years haven't changed at all. It's also the reason that the same kind of junk and the same kind of crap keeps hitting our families, right? The addictions, the sin cycles, the bad habits, the the conflict, the drama, the stress, Most of that, if not all of that, can be traced back to the fact that somewhere in our hearts, in our minds, and in our souls, we're still little boys. We're little boys in the way that we think. We're little boys in the way that we feel and express emotions. We're little boys in the way that we we demonstrate and show strength. We're little boys in the way we operate our lives. And when that's the case, we leave ourselves and everyone connected to us exposed to chaos, pain, and destruction. Why? Why is it that serious? 
Here's why. Because we're not who they need us to be. We're not who they're counting on us and depending on us to be. And ultimately, the reason this is such a big deal is when we stay little boys and we don't grow up, ultimately we're not who God designed us to be, set us up to be, and desires us to be. And here's the deal. Men, here's what we know, right? And this is really for everybody in the room. There's more than just our pasts and our present realities that's at risk when we refuse to grow up. There's a lot at risk. I heard a great quote this past weekend when I was staffing this retreat. It says this, whatever is not transformed gets transferred. And think about that for a second. And think about your own life, right? This goes for everybody in the room. Think about your own life, right? The same wounds that were handed to you by somebody else, not your fault, but life now is your responsibility. Those same wounds that were handed by you, the same escape routes you saw other people take, when it came to getting out of relationships, getting out of marriages, getting out of work, whatever it was, those same escape routes, the same hiding places that they went to to hide the, the sin and the coping mechanisms and all that kind of stuff, the same pressure to live up to whoever or whatever, all of that stuff that was modeled to you, the same fear, this is a big one for me, the same fear that no matter what you do, you'll never be enough, you'll never add up, you'll never be successful. Those same wounds that somebody used to crush you, if we refuse to change, here's what's going to happen. You're going to end up crushing your wives, your sons, your daughters, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, and on down the line. Why? Because you don't transform. You refuse to transform. And so the wounds that we have get transferred. And guess what they'll do? Here's what's going to happen next. That person that you wound, right, somebody handed you a wound, somebody wounded you, you're then going to wound somebody else, guess what's going to happen? They're going to transfer the wound that you gave them by crushing, crushing the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. So we get stuck in this cycle of generational sin. And so the choice today, right here, right now, is this. Transform or transfer. And there's no middle ground. There's no neutral Right? You can become a man or you can stay a little boy. And here's the thing. You're actually going to get a chance to do this today. You're actually going to get a chance to do this today. But before we get to that, I want you to catch what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. He says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. Right? That makes sense. Like children do childish things. Why? It's because they think like children. It's because they reason like children. It's because they act like children. They do childish things. But Paul says this, when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. And here's the really interesting thing. So this guy, Paul, wrote this letter to a church, a group of people just like us. And church, when I talk about church, it wasn't a building, a location, something you showed up to at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning. Right? Church was a family. And that's really what we are. It's a group of people, like Christy said, that are just kind of on this journey together to becoming more and more like Jesus. So when Paul wrote, writes these letters, right, Paul was this guy way back in the day, first century, who would write letters. He would help plant churches, start churches, start communities of faith. And then he would write letters to them to help them kind of work through some of the difficulties that they faced. And so this is one of those letters. He wrote it to a group of people in a place called Corinth. And Corinth was one of the most corrupt places on the planet. Corrupt. The, 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 the culture in Corinth was sexually broken. It was morally bankrupt. 
It was politically corrupt, as corrupt as it gets. And so when Paul writes this letter to a group of believers in this place called Corinth that was dealing with all this sexual brokenness and moral bankruptcy and political corruption, he's specific in a few instances. He calls out to the men in that community, and he says this, grow up. you got to become like men. Why? Because the answer to the cultural problems that we face, government's not going to fix all that. They're not. Taxes and all this, like that's not going to fix all that. It's not. Here's what's going to fix some of the brokenness that we face. Men growing up and standing up and becoming men. That's why, that's why Paul writes a few times in, in Corinthians, listen, this place that you're in is broken right? You want to fix that? Here's how. Men, grow up. Become men. And I know there's parts of us that we feel like, as guys, sometimes this stuff seems impossible. But we feel disqualified. Why? Because of the things that we've done. We've got junk in our past. We've got decisions we made, choices we made that we regret, that, we, that shame is kind of built around those kinds of things, like how we used to live, right? It, it feels like escaping our pasts is impossible. We just can't get out from underneath the mistakes we've made, the shame we feel, the harm we caused. And this goes for all of us in the room, right? We know in our own lives where the bodies are buried, metaphorically, hopefully. If not, let's talk. We know where the bodies are buried. We know, we know what we have locked away in the dark places in our lives. We know what's in there. We know the monsters, right, that hide. And because of that, here's what's happened. We've allowed the messes we've made to become the messages we believe to be true about us. I can't, come over, I can't overcome this. I'm damaged goods. That kind of mess, Brad, doesn't wash out. It's impossible. And I would say this, by yourself, that's right. Alone, that's true. It is impossible. It's like, wait a minute, you're not supposed to say that. Like, I came to church to get this really, like, positive thing, right? Like, I, good vibes only on a Sunday morning. You're right. You can't fix your mess. Neither can I. I can't fix it for you, nor can I fix my own. And you can't fix mine. But here, catch this. I, I love what Jesus says in Matthew 19. Jesus looked at people just like us, men and women, with all the junk in our pasts, who are feeling like it's impossible to overcome this. Here's what he said. With man, with yourself, man, mankind, men and women, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And we talk about at Adventure a lot, we talk about this with God life, right? A life with God that Jesus makes possible. That's what the with God life is all about. The with God life is a life where all things are possible. Not because of you. Not because you're good enough, smart enough, rich enough, powerful enough, influential enough. It's because of God. It's because of Jesus. That's why all things are possible. And so I want you to hear that today. Before we dive into what we're going to dive into, I need us to understand that with God, all things are possible. What this all means is this. Because of Jesus, today can be the day in your life that everything changes. What Jesus makes possible is this. All of us can have a moment that we go, from now on, I fill in the blank, because of Jesus. All of us have that opportunity. All of us have that, that, that ability to be able to lean into Jesus, not to fix ourselves, 
but to claim that because of Jesus, today is a day that it can all change. Today is a day, this can be your from now on moment. But beyond trusting in Jesus and accepting the with God life that he offers, here's what it's going to take, right, for us to become men. We have to reclaim, right, for us to reclaim who God desires us to be, right, requires taking responsibility. And just so you know, I'm not preaching a false gospel here. I'm not saying that it's grace and I need to, Dallas Willard's one of my favorite authors. He says this, that grace stands opposed, opposed to earning, meaning you can't earn it. You can't earn the with God life. You can only receive it through Jesus. But once that has been received, he says this, grace stands opposed to earning. It does not stand opposed to effort. Meaning that there's a part in this that we get to play. And part of this for us guys specifically is this. We want to reclaim who God desires you to be. Jesus gives you the opportunity to do that. You are not damaged goods. You are not too broken. You are not a piece of crap. Even though I know a lot of us, maybe we think that. Why? Because the messes we've made tell us the messages that we begin to believe. And those messages tell us, I'm a piece of, I'm a piece of garbage. I'm a piece of garbage. I'm a piece of garbage. Jesus says, no, you're not. But... Men, for us to step into this, we have to take responsibility. And we said this, we kind of gave this real simple definition. Masculinity is this, it's the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. Jesus, he deals with our pasts, and Jesus provides us with a future, but our role to play in this, right, this is where we have to begin to activate these, these four chambers in the hearts of men to be the, the men that God desires us to be, king, warrior, wise man, and lover. That's a whole man. Right, right now, many of us in the room, are, are, are we are operating as just pieces and parts. And what Jesus desires for you is to be whole. And so here's what this means, right? Again, super fast. We said this, we, meaning men and women, we've been given authority by God to equally co-rule under him in the way that he would. So that when all creation sees us, they really see him. They see his character, his nature, and his power at work in and through us. And so men... As kings, right, God gives us the role and the expectation and the responsibility of working, which means providing for, and keeping, which means protecting our kingdoms. That's our family. And here's why. So that everything and everyone that's been entrusted to us can thrive and experience life, life that God desires for them. That's our role as kings. As warriors, we stand with sober minds. Matt talked about that last week. Ready to defend and protect our hearts and the hearts of those that we've been asked to and entrusted to defend and care for. And again, Bob and Matt made this really clear, that, that our weapon is the word of God. Why? Why, why, is, this, like, why is this the weapon? This is, not, this is not a weapon to be used against people, but it is the weapon that could be used against the lies and the schemes and the temptation of our enemy. And guess what? There is nothing he can do that can stand up to the truth that we find in God's word. That weapon is not meant to be used against the person sitting next to you or the person in your office or down the hall or down the street. It is not a weapon to be used against people. It is a weapon to be used against Satan, our enemy. And he has no answer for that. And then as men, right, we are wise men, which means this, we seek wisdom, which means skilled living. It's information put into action. We know that there's a difference in being childlike, which means, men, we seek help and guidance. I still seek help and guidance when it comes to understanding and unpacking and applying God's truth to my life and to the lives of my, lives of my family. Right? I've got people that I reach out to. I have mentors that I seek out. I have, I have pastors that I lean into and listen to, right, because I need help. 
And there's a lot of times, even as a pastor, as a professional Christian, somebody gets paid to talk about Jesus, that I need to be childlike and say, hey, I need help understanding this. There's a difference in being childlike and childish. And childish is being ignorant and arrogant, and that is dangerous. That's foolishness. And so we're going to unpack what it means to be lovers, but I need us to know this, right? When men live and lean into who we're meant to be, here's what's going to happen. We'll care for who or what has been entrusted to us in the very same way that God would. And when we do that, the whole world gets a clearer picture of who he is, his goodness through our lives. All right, so now we're all caught up. Let's dive in. Grab your Bibles, open up to Ephesians chapter 5. Now, here's the deal. Let me just say this. Um, if you were here at the very beginning, the first week of this series, we, we, lay, we laid out some ground rules. And part of those ground rules were like, no passive aggressive stuff. Like, no, like, <clears throat> you know, like, no, like, the deep sigh, no eye roll, right? Also, again, one, another one, like, don't take sermon notes to then be used as, like, stating a case against someone in the car on the way home, right? Just listen. And there would be a couple times there where I'm like, don't, don't look at the person next to you, right? So remember those rules because they still apply today, right, probably today more than any other. And I'll just be honest with you. This is probably one of the most politically incorrect sermons you're going you're gonna to hear in a while. Yeah, yeah, I know. Woohoo! And I'm going to be honest with you, it's probably one of the most politically incorrect sermons I've preached in a while. So here we go, right? Ephesians 5, starting in verse 15. Grab your Bibles or your Bible apps. If you need a free Bible, we've got some in the back. Here's what, again, this guy, same guy Paul that wrote Corinthians, right? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise. We talked about that, skilled living. Make the best use of your time because these days are evil. Basically this, Paul's saying, listen, your lives as men and women have a bigger purpose your, your lives have a bigger purpose than just you. Don't waste the purpose. Don't waste the opportunity. He says, therefore, do not be foolish, ignorant, arrogant, and dangerous, but understand, which means wisdom put into action, right? That's putting truth into action. He says, understand what the will of the Lord is. And a lot of people sometimes go like, what, what's God's will? I just need to find God's will for my life. Will is just a fancy word to talk about desire, what he desires for you, what he wants for you. Understand what the will of the Lord is, his desires for you. He says this, don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then this, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, the verses that immediately follow these have been misinterpreted, misrepresented, and flat out misused and weaponized against women in the church for years. And there's a reason that I backed all the way up to verse 15. And this is it. I want to explain this, right? Because Paul, who, who wrote this, this letter to a group of believers in a place called Ephesus, he's super intentional in letting them know that how they live and how they operate their lives, the way they treat one another, has a purpose that's bigger than themselves. I mean, going all the way back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, we unpacked that a few weeks ago. Here's what we learned. We learned that as men and women, we bear the image. The word image is masculine. And we also bear the likeness, that word likeness is feminine, that together we bear the image and likeness of God. So that by design, right, when, when, when creation looks at us, together they see the clearest picture of who God is, his image and his likeness. Which means this, I hope you understand this, right, there's a much, much larger purpose to your life 
than just grinding it out in the 9 to 5 and trying to make sure you got enough money to pay your bills. Creation is looking at you. In fact, Paul in Romans 8 says creation waits for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed so that people can see God at work in you and through you. The bottom line for us is this. How believers in Jesus, which is both men and women, how we live and what believers in Jesus, right, how we, how we look like to an unbelieving world matters and it makes a difference. And Paul, he brings all this stuff into focus with this command that he gives in verse 21. He says, giving thanks to the Lord always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, this is a little like word study. So again, get your phones ready because you're going to need it. The word submit literally means this, to voluntarily yield in love. So I submit, I yield, I yield my authority, I yield my, my, like my desire, I yield what I want, I yield my decision voluntarily, which means I'm not being forced. I'm voluntarily yielding. Why? Because I, I love you in love, through love. So that's what that word submit means, right? But the way that Paul talks about submitting in Ephesians, it's more than just an action. In this verse, Paul, what he's talking about is actually mutual submission among believers in Jesus, which is this. It's a chosen lifestyle. I mean, that word, when he talks about submit to one another, that's a Greek phrase, right, that, that refers to a chosen lifestyle or a posture of the heart, mind, soul, and strength from one to another. The command to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ is a, is a Greek phrase that literally means this, belonging to one's own. That's what it means. It means I belong to you and you belong to me. Mutually submitting to one another puts us in relationship, right, in this continuous cycle of serving each other. It's this cycle of serving one another in and through sacrificial love. The cycle kind of goes like this. I'm yours, you're mine. I'm yours, you're mine. I'm yours, you're mine. I'm yours, you're mine. That's, that's how it works. And here's why it matters to know this. Because everything that follows Everything that Paul's going to unpack for us, everything that follows comes through and out of this command to submit to one another, to belong to one another in love. So it's in mutual submission, right? That's the lens that we see each other through, the mindset we approach each other with, and the posture we, we approach each other in. So here's what happens, right? Ephesians, look at verse 22. Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, submit, voluntarily yield in love. To your own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and himself its Savior. Now, as a church submits to Christ, so also, also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. I told you, it's not politically correct. But here's the thing that's funny. A lot of times, like I do premarital counseling. And, and I've, I've married even a few couples here at, at Adventure, and, and luckily this has not come up in these conversations. But a lot of the times when I would do premarital counseling, we talk about roles and, and things like that in, in a marriage. It's funny that usually it's, it's the man, it's the groom that brings these verses up. Right? It's men that typically have these verses highlighted in their Bibles when really, just to be honest with you guys, if you look at the way Paul writes this, these verses are not for you. 
Like these, are, these verses are not for you. Men, the next set of verses are the ones that you should have highlighted in your Bibles. Ladies, these are the ones that are actually for you, right? And here's the thing. I want, I want to talk about two key things from this, right? Two, two key takeaways for, for ladies in the room as you're reading this. Number one, this is still coming through the lens of mutual submission. So the command to serve your husband through sacrificial love goes hand in hand with the command for him to sacrificially love and serve you, right? That's, the first, that's a key takeaway. The second one is this. It's a big one for both men and women. It says this. To, specifically, it says, wives submit to your husbands, not women submit to all and every man. It doesn't say that. Paul is specifically addressing husbands and wives in this case. And men, I need us to understand this. Ladies, you too. Talking about how wives relate to husbands and husbands relate to wives. That's what Paul's getting at, not about how all men and women everywhere relate to each other. And he's also specifically talking about how husbands and wives relate to each other within the community of believers that is the church. He's not talking about everywhere and every place. And that's not the expectation. The expectation is not, men, that, that you get the opportunity to reign and be an authority and everywhere, and women everywhere and, and in all places, and, and to all men, you should submit. That's not the expectation. And men, let me just tell you, if that's what you think Paul is saying, that you get to be the boss all the time, and you get to lord, lord authority over your wife or, or women in general, that's little boy behavior. And I'm going to be honest with you, grow up. Grow up. That's little boy stuff. And that's not what it says in Scripture. So men, there's a key takeaway for us in this as well. When Paul says the husband is the head of your wife, that doesn't imply authority for authority's sake. Being the head, in this case, this is great, literally refers to the actual physical part of your body, the head, right? Your head that sits on your shoulders, right? That, that physical part of the body that does what? It brings and it gives and it sustains life for the rest of the body. That's what it means to be the head of your wife, to be the part of the body that you grow together, right, that brings and gives and sustains life. And I, I read this. It says this. Since the loss of the head destroys life, this word is used in phrases that relate to capital and extreme punishment. It's serious. So here's what this means for us, guys. Being the head means this, that the ultimate and primary but not sole responsibility for the state and status of those in your kingdom and your family lies with men. And here's the deal, guys. We're going to have to answer for that one day. God really takes this seriously. Why? Because there's a bigger purpose to your life. Men, whether or not, and hear me with this, all right? Whether or not you are the head of your family is not the question for husbands. You are. It's just a fact. You are. So the question is not whether or not you are. You are. The question is this. What kind of life bringer, life giver, and life sustainer will you be for you and your family? Men, the responsibility of headship in your family means this. We're responsible for doing all that we can to protect and provide all that is needed for our queen and for those in our kingdom to thrive. And the truth is this, we will primarily be held accountable for whatever that end result is. And that's not to take away from women. It's not. Because here's the thing, right now I know that there are single moms in this place. 
there are single moms in our church family. And single moms, you are carrying this whole load by yourself, right? And you are stronger and braver and more courageous than I could ever be. But I need, I need men to understand something in this moment. When your kingdom falls apart, when your kingdom implodes or explodes, here's the truth. No one asks the citizens of the kingdom why this happened. They ask you. When your marriage blows up, guess what? I'm not going to ask your kids why you cheated on your wife. Why do you do that? I'm going to ask you. When your kids feel abandoned, I'm not going to ask them why. I'm going to ask you. Why would you bail on your family? How come you're spending hours and hours and hours at work? How come you're, you're, you're doing more overtime and, and you're taking away, you're, you're stealing time away from your kids who need you? How come? I'm going to ask you that question. And I want us to notice this, right? Going back to, the, to that, that, that first, you know, first couple chapters in the Bible, right? When, after, after Adam and Eve have eaten the fruit and they, they've, they've hidden themselves, right? It says before they were naked and felt no shame. And they eat the fruit, and immediately they try to cover themselves up, right? They're insecure. Insecurity is part of the original curse. And they hide. Notice something about this story. God did not call out to Eve in the garden. He called out to Adam. Where are you? And he made Adam give an account for what happened in this moment. So now you can see. These verses, they mean maybe something a little bit different than what you originally thought. And guys, if there's this part of you that's going, oh, shoot. It means you're paying attention. If you stopped breathing, it means you're paying attention. And we haven't even gotten to you yet. <laughs> Let's keep going. Here we go, right? Husbands, love your wives, Right? That's, what, that's the next verse. Husband, love your wives. This word love is a Greek word, agape. And I, I need us to know this because for us in, in the United States, love is kind of a junk drawer word. Like I can say I love Chipotle. Like I also love my kids, right? I can say I love Kentucky basketball. Daggone it. Um, in the same breath, I can say I love my family. And if you ask my family, they'd be like, yeah, we're not quite sure where we stack up in that, right? But it says this, husband, love your wife. It, like love is, it, like for us, it's an emotional word. But in, in the Greek, agape is not an emotion word. It's not a feeling word. It's a choice word. It means this, that I choose to direct my will, my desire, and my joy to someone else. Agape is the word, it's the word for love that they use to describe God's love for us. It's not just that God loves you, right? I'm going to tell you this, God also likes you. Right, which is big for some of us in the room to be able to hear that. God doesn't just love you, he likes you, but his love for you is more than just affection, it's choice. I choose you. I choose to direct my will and my desire and my resources towards you. So men, we're to love our wives with this kind of love. A choice. And then he goes on, he says this, love your wives how? As Christ loved the church. Jesus, what did he do? He gladly assumed sacrificial responsibility. And the Bible tells us that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And what did he do? He gave himself up for her. His church, his bride. Jesus looked at us and said, you're worth my whole life. Why? So that he may sanctify her. That word sanctify means to, to make holy, to be unlike anything else. That's what Jesus desires for us, is for our lives to look and be, and for us to live like nobody else. 
And then he goes on and says, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that's biblical truth. Why? So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy without blemish. Why? Why, is Je- why, does, why, why does Jesus love us this way and, and how, what are we supposed to do about it? Basically this, Jesus loved us the way that he loved us. Why? So that, so that we as believers in Jesus, we can live, we can be who God designed us to be. That we can live into his desires for us. Guys, don't, don't miss this. We talked about this at the very beginning of the series. We said, listen, the manual for life is this. But the model is Jesus. God not only gives us a manual, but he gives us a model. Somebody that we can look to. And if you're wondering, so, so what standard... What standard am I to like live up to and pursue when it comes to loving my wife? Here it is. The standard of who we're supposed to be and how we're to live when it comes to showing and giving love to others, especially to our wives, is Jesus. High bar. And this is one of, the, this is one of those moments I thought about this too because I'm like, man, that's a lot. That's a lot to try to live up to. But I thought about this too. It's like, you know what, if you... If you, aim, if you aim for the moon, right, you can land among the stars, right? So just aim someplace different than where you're aiming now, right? The truth is this. Sometimes we aim downrange, and we wonder, why in the world, like, why does my life keep ending up over here? It's because you're actually aiming over here. Right? What we see in Ephesians, what Paul is saying is aim for Jesus. Because that will begin to change the direction of your life. Jesus loved unlovable people. Do the same. Men, there are times when our wives and our kids are hard to love. There are times in your life when, when, when love is just hard to give. You don't want to love the people in your life. And this is what Paul would say. Tough. Do it anyway. Jesus was still, catch this. We're going to talk about this in the next couple of weeks. Jesus was still trying to intervene for us when he was hanging on a cross. Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't, they don't get it. They know what they're doing. I'll be honest with you. If you nailed me to a tree and hung me naked in front of everyone and just waited to watch me die, I'd have a hard time loving you. That's a tough moment to try to love somebody, but Jesus did it. And then Ephesians goes on to say this. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes, that's the Greek word, provides, And cherishes, the Greek word for protect, just as Jesus does the church. Because remembrance of his body. And then, this goes all the way back to Genesis, right? This is what God said in Genesis. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Your family. And again, I I talk about premarital counseling. I tell all couples when I do premarital counseling is that the moment that, that, that they're married, they become family and everybody else in their life, they're now their relatives. But it's your family. This is what you're responsible for. And Paul says, the mystery is profound. And and what I'm saying here is that it refers to Christ and the church, that marriage images something bigger. There's even a greater purpose to marriage than just being married, right? And he says, however, each one of you should love, which means to choose to sacrificially serve his wife and himself and see that the wife respects, honors her husband. And I get it, guys. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to just want to be honored and respected in your homes, in the places that you work, in the places that you live. But here's the deal, guys. If you want to be honored and respected, then become someone who's honorable and respectable. If you want that, become that. 
The path to honor and respect runs through sacrificially directing your will, your desires, your time, your treasures, and your talents towards something and someone other than yourself. And if you want to know what being a lover is all about, it's not just about getting jiggy with it, right? That's what it means to love. And when you love people like this, right, when that is the world that exists inside of you, guess what? That's also going to be the world that you get to exist in physically in intimacy with your wife. But it comes from that. It's an inside-out kind of love. It begins and it grows and it takes root at the core of who you are and makes its way out into the way that you live. Men, when we activate this chamber of our hearts, along with the king and the warrior and the wise man, we become whole. We become complete. Isn't that something? Isn't that something you want? Men, isn't that something you want? Do you want to be whole? Jesus, he offers us the opportunity, but to step into it, you have to make it personal. You have to take responsibility for it. Okay. I'm done. I'm done teaching. The, the teaching part of this series is over, right? What's getting ready to happen up here today is an initiation ceremony. And here's what happens. Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, Paul says this. He says, not that I've already obtained it or that I'm already perfect, but, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He looks at these men and says, brothers, I do not consider yet that I've made it my own, but here's the one thing I do, men. I forget what lies behind, and I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal, the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And he says this, let those who are mature, grown-up men think this way. Men, your past, my past, they cannot be erased, but they can be repurposed. I read something this week that said this, because of Jesus, our pasts no longer have to be the cause of our surrender. And like Paul says here, we have to forget what lies behind and strain forward, press forward, because it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy, and it's not about being perfect. We talk about this here at Adventure a lot. It's not about being perfect. What it's about is putting new things into practice. Quick story, this past weekend I was at this men's retreat and one of the exercises that happened was they had this mat, right? There's this mat that was probably 20, 25 yards long down the middle of this old gym floor. And kind of metaphorically, they would put the thing that you wanted right down at the end of the mat. And you had to make it to the end of the mat through all kinds of obstacles. And there was one man on the retreat, his name was Christopher, who had been suffering from MS. And he'd been suffering from MS for a very long time. But in the last two years, he was wheelchair bound. And this is a guy who used to be strong, even said, I used to be strong. I used to be able to run. I was a runner. I was fit. I was in shape. But this disease has taken all this from me. So he was in a wheelchair. And we go through all the men. They get a chance to kind of work their way down this mat to get the thing that they want that's at the end. And we're ready to close up shop and move on to the next thing. And, 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 and he raises his hand and says, one more. I want to go. We all kind of look at each other going, should we allow this? Like, are we, um, he says, I want to go. He said, all right, man, do you take responsibility for whatever happens? Yes. So this guy gets out of a wheelchair and gets down on his, on his like, army crawl, on his belly, on this mat. And I proceeded to watch. It was like something straight out of a movie. The man that he knew God wanted him to be was 25 yards away down the middle of a mat. 
and a disease had zapped his strength for the last handful of years. And I watched this man crawl and drag himself 25 yards down a mat to get to the man that he felt like God wanted him to be. Nothing was going to keep him from getting to that place. There was not a dry eye in the room. But then I remember looking at a handful of guys and going, what's my excuse? After seeing this, what's your excuse? Man, it's time we fix our eyes on Jesus. It's time that we get moving. No matter what it takes, you drag yourself across the line if you have to. And part of initiation means this. Part of initiation means you step across the line, and in doing so, symbolically what was is now gone, and what will be is now here. And I've been studying a lot of initiation rites for tribes and cultures all over the planet. We don't have initiation rites from boyhood to manhood in the United States, which explains a lot. But one of, the, one of the, 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 the cultures that I looked into is one that I've worked with or I have experience with, the, the Maasai tribe in Kenya. What they do is public circumcision. We're not doing that, right? Everybody breathe. Unless you want to, and then after Easter jam, right, we can, no, I'm kidding. We're not going to do that. But here's the, here's the thing that I learned. So in the Maasai tribe, that initiation, public circumcision, you have to be chosen by your father or by an elder within the tribe to go through it. They basically say, we think you're ready. And so when this day comes, right, the, these, these young men, they go sit in a river because it's cold. And they get out of the river and they begin to walk across a field to where their fathers are or where the elders are. And the whole time, the, the, the rest of the tribe is, is kind of positioned on either side of them. And the thing that I read was the, the, the little boys, the younger boys, they cry because they want to be chosen by their fathers. And they want to be chosen by their elders. They want so badly to be ready to step into manhood. They cry, they weep. Dad, choose me. Father, choose me. Can I be next? And the women, they weep and they cry because they know what will come. They know that their sons, after this day, after this moment, will now be men. And they know what, what that means in that tribe is that these young men will now step into the responsibility of being men in the tribe. And their families and their lives in the tribe will only get better and only get stronger. So the women, they weep because they know that it's only going to get better. But catch this, guys. On the other side are all of the older men. Who have been through this. They know what it feels like. They know the pain. And they look at those boys as they walk across that field and they say, don't you quit. Don't you give up. Fight through it. Get through it. Do not quit. Do not turn around. Do not go back to who you were. Step into this. Step into this. You can do it. We're proof. We made it to the other side. Don't quit. Don't give up. Today, men, you're going to have the opportunity to step across the line. There's literally a red line on the floor. You have the chance to step across this line. And here's what it requires, right? And here's how I'll say this. This is open to, this is open to men and boys, middle school and up. And again, it doesn't matter how long you've been here. Today, something might be resonating in your heart. And if you're going, you know what, I feel like I want to do something about what I've heard. 
we're not, I'm not going to put a ton of requirements in front of you. I'm going to say, let's do this, and we'll catch you up. How about that? We'll catch you up. You're going to have a chance to step across this line here in a minute, and you're, gonna, you're actually going to be able to put your name on this, meaning this. There's something, men, that when we sign our name to something, when there's a record that said, hey, listen, your name is right here. You said you'd do this. We sign our name to this. You're going to get a bracelet, right? bracelet looks like this. Every covenant, every covenant, every initiation has a symbol to remind us, right, that, that of who we are, right? The symbol to remind us of the choice that we made. And this bracelet has two lines on it, a thin blue line and a thin red line. And there's significance to these. Culturally, the thin blue line represents support for law enforcement, which we support law enforcement at Adventure. And I asked a police officer what time, what, what, one time what it meant, and he said this, the thin blue line is the line between order and chaos. And it's our duty to hold that line to protect order from the chaos that wants to destroy it. The thin red line actually comes from a Rudyard Kipling poem about soldiers in peacetime or who are in war. They're always ready to be in the fight. It says this, then it's Tommy this and Tommy that. Tommy, how's your soul? But it's the thin red line of heroes when the drums begin to roll. The drums begin to roll, my boys. The drums begin to roll. The thin red line of heroes when the drums begin to roll. The thin red line of heroes are the ones, men, who don't run from the fight. They don't run away from the fight. When they hear the drum of battle calling in their family or in their work or in their church, men, these drums are rolling. If you haven't been watching the news, if you haven't woken up or crawled out from underneath a rock for a while, the drums in our culture, they're rolling. It is time to go to battle. It is time to go to war. And they're calling out for the men who will run into the fight and not away from it. Your wives, your kids, your coworkers, your friends, your family, they have been praying and longing for so long for you to step into the fight as a man. So here's what's going to happen. Our elders, our elders are going to be up front. Just because the elders in every tribe and in every initiation, they're the ones that go first. And they remind you that you're not alone. Somebody's been through this. The elders and the leaders, they're the ones that oversee initiation. These men, what they're going to do is right here in the middle, there's going to be a book that you can write your name in and say, I'm in. I want to do this. There's going to be a resolution that you take home, that you put up somewhere where you can see it. We're going to talk about that in just a second. You're going to get a bracelet, right? But these elders, just like in the Maasai tribe, they want to pray over you. They want to shake your hand, look you in the eye, and pray over you to commission you into biblical manhood as someone who is willing to be a king, a warrior, a wise man, and a lover in this church, in his home, in the place that he works and lives. They're going to pray over you as you step into that. But here's the resolution, all right? This comes from a, a movie. It's a Christian movie called Courageous. I don't watch a lot of Christian movies because, quite frankly, they're not that good, right? But this one was. This one was good. Here's what it says. It says, I do solemnly resolve before God to take full responsibility for my wife, myself, and my children. It says, I will love them and protect them and serve them and teach them the word of God as the spiritual leader of my home. I'll be faithful to my wife to love and honor her and be willing to lay down my life for her as Jesus did for me. I'll bless my children and teach them to love God with all their hearts, all their minds, and all their strength. I will train them to honor authority and live responsibly. I will confront evil, pursue justice, and love mercy. 
I will pray for others and treat them with kindness and respect and compassion. I will work diligently to provide for the needs of my family. I'll forgive those who have wronged me and I will reconcile with those that I have wronged. I will learn from my mistakes, repent of my sins, and walk with integrity as a man answerable to God. I will seek to honor God, to be faithful to his church, to obey his word and do his will. I will courageously work with the strength that God provides to fulfill this resolution for the rest of my life and for his glory. And just like Joshua drew a line in the sand, here's the line, men. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's who we're going to be. So men, when you're ready, the band's going to play a couple of songs. When you're ready, come down and cross this line. You can come by yourself. You can come with your families. You can come with your kids. You can come with your wives. It doesn't matter. It's just that you're crossing the line. Men, for your wives, and for your kids, for your family, can I just let you in on a truth? They've been praying for this moment in your life for years. And if they could speak right now, they would go, please, please, please get up and cross that line. They've been praying for this opportunity in your life for years. And today it can become a reality. And nobody benefits from this more than they do. It's going to take courage. It's going to take a lot of guts. But you don't have to do it alone. I invite you to become a part of the tribe. I'm going to pray for us. And the band's going to play. And you're going to have your opportunity to step forward into becoming the man that God desires you to be. Let's pray. Jesus. You're good. We love you. We praise you for all that you've done and all that you are. The fact that you make this whole thing possible. Without you, Jesus, none of this works. None of this matters. We can't. We don't even get these opportunities. So, Jesus, we pray today that as men come forward, maybe by themselves or with their wives or with their kids, Lord, today that, that, that your spirit would rest on them, that your spirit would renovate them, your spirit would restore them. Lord, the best days and better days of their marriages, their relationships, their parenting, all of that stuff, the best days are ahead of them. And for young men in the room, middle school, high school age boys, Lord, this is a day where it's like, look, I'm not married yet, but someday I'm going to be. Practice now. Start training now to be the man that you know God wants you to be. Jesus, I pray for your spirit, to, for that courage, that spirit, not of timidity and fear, but, but a spirit of courage that roars like lions. God, I pray that that spirit would well up in men today. And that today would be the day they look back and from now on, this was